Hello, my name is Ashley Balin, and welcome to Baby Puppy, the parenting podcast for anyone raising a human or fur baby. Now, before I start getting angry emails from people in the dog community or parenting community about how different raising a dog is from a child, trust me, I know, I know, I'm not saying they're the same at all. But as a professional dog trainer and behavior consultant and a mother, there are a startling number of similarities. I have applied strategies from my dog training education and experience to parenting with great success and vice versa. From the early days with an infant or puppy, dealing with teething, crate or crib training, socialization and language acquisition, to nutrition, anxiety, coping mechanisms, independence, confidence building and more, it's impossible to deny a crossover. On each episode of this podcast, we'll explore a different topic and speak with a parenting expert to gain insight, strategies, and advice while comparing them to my experience working with dogs. Join me on this journey to raise confident, empathetic, respectful, happy, and healthy dogs and humans. On this episode, I sit down with registered dietitian and online course creator Ahuva Madger Hirschkopf. We delve deep into picky eating, stress around creating a nutritious meal, diet trends, self-regulation, and intuitive eating, as well as the importance of establishing a routine around food for both children and dogs. Ahuva's messaging centers on eliminating the stress around feeding your children nutritious meals while managing a work-life balance. I really got a lot out of our conversation and hope you do as well. Enjoy! Hello. 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 Welcome. And thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I know we were just kind of joking about the fact that it is post bedtime. So we're both probably a little exhausted. Just a little bit. Just a little. little. (laughs) (laughs) So, So I appreciate you doing this at this time. A pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's just start with you telling me what your name is and what you do professionally. So I'm Ahuva. I'm a registered dietitian with a pediatric-based practice in Toronto, and I'm an online course creator. And my goal in life is to support families in reducing stressful mealtimes and to support moms in reducing the mental load that they experience with feeding their families. That is a very lofty goal. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I aim low. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and you have kids? I have two and a half year old twins. Twins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, also lofty. I, you know, what I always say that you can tell who does have children and who doesn't by their responses when I say that I have twins. Anyone who's, <laughs> who doesn't have children is like, oh, that's so nice. And anyone who does have kids is like, oh, dear. <laughs> I know my cousin has triplets. I have no oh idea God. how she did it. No, I, I really no that's when, when they outnumber the number of hens you have, like, that's no joke. Yeah, it's true. So they're they're two and a half. Yeah. And is it like two girls, two boys? I have one a boy each? and a girl. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, you get it, you get it out of the way once, and then you don't need to have any more kids <laughs> afterwards. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. You know, the beauty is also when you have twins, nobody ever asks you. So are you going to have more kids? Because they're like, please just make it through the day. Do whatever <laughs> yeah. you do. You. <laughs> it, it's so it's so true. I have I have a two year old also, and uh, we planned from the beginning on only having one kid. So yeah. like I, I know I'm going to have an only child. Yeah. But yes, of course, the first question that everyone asks me is when I'm planning on having another kid. Right. Right. See, I don't so, get that. <laughs> yeah, which must be really nice, actually. It is. <laughs> 
And just because it's pertinent to this conversation, do you have any dogs? I do not. I did growing up. I had two dogs growing up. Um, I don't have a dog yet. We, we actually want to get one in the future, but we, we want kids first and then going to follow up with the dog. Okay. But I well, love if you, if, you, if you do decide to get a dog, let me know. I'll hook you up. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. I, I will follow up on that. Okay. So I just want to preface this conversation by saying that I am not a nutritionist. Okay. So I can't speak confidently to the nutritional needs of a dog whatsoever. So my yes. contribution will purely be from a behavioral perspective. Perfect. Uh, but I do want to start with a couple nutritional questions. Okay. So dog food basically falls into one of three categories. Okay. So the first is like a store-bought kibble, which obviously ranges from a poorer quality grocery store mm -hmm. brand to like a higher-end company that uses human-grade ingredients. Yeah. And then the second is like a home-cooked diet, which some owners choose to make themselves, yeah. or there's companies that make various meatloafs or stews or, or things like that. And then the third is this raw food diet comprised of mostly like uncooked proteins. Yeah. But some people add in fruits or vegetables or dairy or, or various other things. So obviously the selection for humans is far vaster <laughs> and, and more overwhelming. Yeah. But essentially, it does fall into similar categories, totally. of like pre-made processed shelf-safe food yeah. or frozen meals that are made from fresher ingredients or home-cooked meals from fresher seasonal proteins, veggies, grains, etc. So all this to say, like assuming that allergies and dietary restrictions are not in play, mm -hmm. does, does it really matter? Like as long as kids are getting a variety of foods from all the different food groups, is there really a huge difference between whether they're fresh or frozen or organic or not or prepackaged or local or any of those things? So first of all, um, dog food, I actually just, you know, on the dog nutrition, I actually, when we had a dog, we used to take our dog down to the beaches um, area of Toronto because there used to be a dog um, bakery there Yes, where they used to have um like treats for dogs where that they said like they were fit for human consumption. Also, like you could share a treat with your dog. Yeah. <laughs> they were just chocolate free. Um, but for kids, the answer is not really truth be told. Um, I think that they're, and you want know, to say this all the time to my clients because I can't tell you, and this really speaks to the mental load that I was talking about when, you know, when it comes to being a mom and all the pressures that we feel to do right by our kids, um, that there's so many moms that I speak to who will literally come into my office and like whisper, you know, I picked up a lasagna from Costco. Like, am I the worst mom ever? Um, and the fact of the matter is that not everyone is born or acquires in their life, you know, ex immense, you know, numbers of cooking skills. Not every mom's favorite activity is spending time in the kitchen. Um, and I think that we're really blessed, the truth is, to be living in a time where there are so many amazing options for families to eat a healthful diet, whether it's home cooked or whether it is, you know, purchased from the grocery store. So some things that I always like for families to think about are um, often, you know, the sodium content is higher in, in things you're going to buy from the grocery store, whether they're purchased, you know, shelf stable at the highest end, I'd say that there still tends to be more sodium in things you're going to buy fresh off a, you know, off a display at a grocery store, and then the least amount um, in foods you're going to make from home. 
So, you know, if you are a family who maybe you don't enjoy cooking or maybe the, you know, time constraints, whatever it is, and sometimes thinking about even balancing, like how many things can I buy from the store and then, you know, add a little bit in from, from home so we can manage even, you know, the nutritional content in the sodium. So let's say using the example of a store-bought lasagna, um, maybe it's even, you know, buying a prepackaged salad and then making your own dressing. Right. So there are lots of ways to have a healthful diet from um, from either home cooking or from the grocery store. And you don't need to feel pressure to do everything, you know, totally from scratch when it comes to things like local um, and things like organic and all of those labels. The problem with a lot of them is that while some of them mean something, a lot of them don't. Um, And it's very hard for the average consumer to know which ones do and which ones don't. So, you know, a lot of people talk about organic in the fact that they don't use pesticides, but a lot of them do use pesticides, right? There are different um, strain of pesticides or the chemicals are different. They call them, you know, more natural pesticides, um, but people don't always get what they think that they're getting. Um, Often the nutrition of the the produce isn't any better or worse, um, which is, you know, nice to hear if you're not someone who buys organic all the time washing your fruits and vegetables is the best way to get off any pesticide residue that might be on them when it comes to local um it always often tastes better just because it hasn't traveled as long and sometimes the nutrition of that is better because it hasn't been you know sitting in a truck for as long until it gets to you that makes sense yeah yeah of course it makes sense uh, but, you know, affordability is obviously a consideration Huge as, as consideration. well, right? I mean, even from, you know, a, a, like a dog perspective, I have clients that reach out to me all the time saying that they're shamed by their friends or family or, you know, people they run into at the mm-hmm. dog park because all they can afford is the grocery store brand food, yeah. which happens to be a third of the price of these more, you know, organic or like locally sourced yeah. foods. And they like, you know, they, they're really concerned that they're harming their dogs right right? yeah and obviously you hear similar things from parents as well that they you know are only able to afford the the frozen food or they have to buy whatever's on sale Mm -hmm. and they end up being also shamed from other parents that you know they're not choosing the best for their children or that their children are going to end up having long-term health problems because of the the products that they're choosing so i guess i just wanted to know whether there was any truth to that at all um, the, the fact of the matter is no, like there, well, that's, that's what I assume, <laughs> right? Like the, the truth is that, you know, even if you look at, um, the new, the new cannabis food guide, right. That we've put out ideally, if we could all achieve half a plate of vegetables, you know, a quarter plate of, of carbohydrate, healthy carbohydrates and a quarter plate of protein rich foods, nobody asked whether it was homemade or whether it was purchased from the store, right? There's not separate sections for all of those different things. And I think that it, it is really, it's actually quite unfortunate, um, in, in my opinion, because it sets the bar just way too high, right? It's like anything. It's like being physically active. It's like, um, you know, going to school. Do, do you want your child to graduate high school? Yes. Does it matter if they do seven doctorates? No, right? When you're exercising, is getting a, you know, a certain number of, you know, a certain amount of minutes per day healthful? Yes. Do you need to be exercising for the entire day? No. And setting the bar in those places is, as you're saying, it's unfair because it's shaming people who are doing 
um, healthful things for their family and feeding their families well, they just might not be on trend. And yeah, and I think I think I think that's actually really important to note, because you know, as a new parent, you have so much stress in so many aspects no. of your life. <laughs> exactly, and you know, on top of that, to be told that you can't buy baby food anymore, now you have to buy all these locally sourced organic ingredients and puree them yourself. And you know, if you're going to get meat, you have to go to like the the local butcher, and yeah. everything has to be less than a hundred miles away and grass fed. And it ends up, you know, making, it just adds to the stress of all of the other things that you're already dealing with. Right. And I think that that's important, you know, as we get into December and as everyone is making their, you know, January New Year's resolutions, whatever, you know, as we all tend to do, is that it often actually um, stops people from making any sort of health changes, right? When you tell someone, you know what, you're actually so far away from, where you need to go or you're doing so much less for your for your children than you actually need to be going that's not empowering to people right that doesn't support them in trying to make healthful changes wherever they can and again you know economics um child care all of those things play a huge role right where you work versus where you live commutes all like all of that stuff definitely plays into do you have six hours a day to spend in the kitchen preparing every single thing from scratch? Or as most of us do, like that's just not the case, right? We're not living in those times where even there's often, you know, one parent home who can do, can prepare food all day. A lot of families have dual income, you know, families. Um, and saying to, a, especially a new parent, and I'm sure to, you know, a first time dog owner as well, you're just, you're already failing or you're like, don't even bother. You're so far off. That doesn't support them in doing whatever it is they can in the context of their life. It just basically tells them they're failing no matter what. Right. And, you know, it also feeds into this, you know, culture of extremism where, you know, we have to either sit in the kitchen for six hours making these, you know, perfect meals, or we might as well just buy fast food. It's like, exactly, you know, like, I, and that's why I really like the suggestion that you made earlier about, you know, buying the prepackaged salad and then making your own salad dressing. Mm -hmm. That there, there is a gray area and it doesn't have to be one or extreme or the other. And the fact is that sounds to some people like I'm doing nothing right? And that's the beauty because in your eyes, you might be doing nothing, but you're actually making, you know, quite a healthy choice for your family, right? You're making something from scratch. And it really, you know, in terms of the effort, it doesn't feel like a whole lot. Right. I'm also seeing this recent trend in the dog food world where dog owners are feeding the diet that they've chosen for themselves to their dog, like mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, for example, if they're vegan or vegetarian or keto or gluten-free, they're also trying to find, uh, you know, comparable diets for their dog. And I'm sure uh -huh. ultimately, if done with careful consideration, it's not harmful. But, you know, how do you feel about people applying their personal diets to their young children? Like, you know, has, has that trend carried over into the parenting world of people applying these keto or gluten-free or vegan diets to their children? I mean, definitely a lot more, even just because the way that you cook is the way that your um, kids, you know, tend to end up eating. I think that there's certain ways of eating where even if the parents are doing it, it can be helpful for their children. I think that when we take any 
any food group out of the diet, it inherently um, means that you need to be significantly more careful um, and more considerate, I would say, of um, your dog's diet or your child's diet than you might for yourself, right? So there are lots of nutrients, let's say on a vegan diet that um, we don't need as much of as adults, even fat being one of them, that children definitely need more of. So when I'm talking about what I might feed my, feed my children who are, you know, eat all food groups, I can put less effort into planning out their day than someone else might be, um, might have to if they were on a vegan or vegetarian diet. Um, they'll, you know, it'll just take more planning to make sure they're getting everything that they need. When it comes to things like some of the trends like keto, um, like intermittent fasting, all these kind of things that are, you know, coming up more. The ketogenic diet is not one that would generally be recommended for for children. I don't recommend it in general um, because carbohydrates are really important for energy, especially, you know, when you're younger. It's the number one source that we that we tend to use in our brains for energy. So we need those. And as well, um, we don't want to be imposing time restrictions on kids for eating. So it sort of depends where you're going um, and how you're really presenting the way that we're eating as um, in life, right? So things like intermittent fasting, things like keto, the ketogenic diet are often more used for weight management, um, which ideally we wouldn't be imposing on children. Things that are more, you know, if you, if you, for the you know, reasons like in the environment or not wanting to eat animals, all of those kind of things, you know, my family eats kosher. Um, that's something that my children do as well. Things that are more um, from that end that aren't necessarily weight focused are often easier to, to translate into healthfully feeding your kids. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, allergies are obviously becoming more and more common, both in dogs and in kids. Yeah. And in the last 10 years, I'm seeing a huge increase in the production for dogs of hypoallergenic foods and limited ingredient foods or yeah. products that are free of certain proteins or grains, which are suspected to be the culprit of those allergies. Yeah. And, you know, anecdotally, as again, I'm not a nutritionist, but like anecdotally, I've seen that kids have, you know, increasing allergies and food sensitivities as well. Yeah. And I was wondering, you know, I know this is kind of like a loaded question, but <laughs> can, you, can, can you offer any insight into like what's happening in our culture or eating habits or our environment that's leading to this increase of allergies? Um, I can only tell you, so I'm not a diagnostician. I, it is, it was far above my pay grade to, you know, talk about the exact causes of allergies. Um, I did do three years of clinical research at the hospital for sick children. So I've had in food allergies. So I've had, you know, a number of conversations with well-qualified allergists. They, they don't know exactly why there's been a rise in, in food allergies. Um, part of it, they, you know, is, they suspect is because of something called the hygiene hypothesis, which is just, um, we're almost sort of training our immune systems too well, right? So, you know, for the, from going in and living in an environment where we used to be, you know, more in the dirt and, and just have more around us to washing our hands so often, even, um, the number of, you know, Lysol wipes that, that we use and all the rest of it, um, is actually causing, can be causing our immune systems to 
over respond to some things. Again, that's just a hypothesis. The other thing is that the uh, the way that parents used to be told to introduce allergens was to wait until after three years old to introduce a lot of allergens and, you know, things like egg whites, not before a year, um, you know, waiting till nuts, till they were two, a lot of different things. The newer evidence is actually showing that early introduction of allergens is more protective in terms of reducing the risk of food allergy. So it could be and again, you know, just a hypothesis um, and not my hypothesis, just that a lot of these kids actually did have delayed introduction of these allergens and are actually presenting later with food allergies. But my understanding is that the the current recommendation is to introduce all of those common allergies now as early as possible. Exactly. And so, a so lot it's of- returned to being like prior to six months. Yes. Now it's, it's as early, depending on sort of your risk of allergy. So there are kids who are deemed high risk. There are kids who are deemed moderate risk. And there are kids who are deemed low risk. The recommendation for high risk kids is get them in as early as four months in various forms. Um, for moderate risk, it's, it's a little bit later and just introduce as is family and culturally, um, you know, appropriate. And what would make you high risk, like having parents that have allergies? Um, there's different atopic, like kids who have, um, I don't remember the exact criteria, but it's kids who have things like eczema or asthma plus a first degree relative um, who has food allergies. So that could be um that could be parents, that could be siblings, or it can be a child who already has a confirmed allergy to something else. Like let's say they tried formula, they were allergic to dairy. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's switch gears for one second, just to to a topic I know a little more about, or at least, (laughs) (laughs) at least as it pertains to dogs. Uh, So dogs like children thrive on routine. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, starting with very young puppies, I always suggest to my clients that they feed their dogs at the same time every day. And, you know, when my son was a baby, I got very similar advice about making sure that he was on a consistent feeding schedule, first with milk feedings and later with solids. And I guess I just wanted to get a, like, gain a better understanding of why routine is so important when it comes to meals and snacks with kids. That's an excellent question. So there's something that we call the division of responsibility when it comes to mealtime. And it's something that we talk about a lot in terms of introducing foods to our kids and just building healthy, intuitive eaters later on in life. And essentially what that says is that at meals, um, as parents, our job is is to serve food at regular intervals, decide what's going to be for meals, how we're going to serve it, basically all of the important decisions at mealtime. And our kids get the most important decisions, which is if they want to eat, if they decide if they want to eat anything, and if they do want to eat, how much they want to eat, right? So imagine, you know, if you had a day where maybe um, your, you know, your favorite food wasn't being served, maybe the thing that you served for lunch, you know, wasn't your son's favorite, not a knock on your cooking, we all uh, get our, t- our turns with that. But you know, he didn't eat a lot, right? But he knew that there was going to be come a snack later, right? Um, that routine is really important for kids to be able to expect like, okay, I need to eat x amount at, you know, lunch to be full because I, I know there's going to be a snack at around three and I know there's going to be dinner at six, right? A lot more of the erratic behaviors that we end up seeing in kids of, you know, scarfing down 
food like whenever it's available or seeking out treats or all of those kind of things come when there is a lack of structure, right? They don't know when to expect their next meal. So if you don't know when to expect, you often, you know, can overeat at a meal, right? If you thought every meal was your last meal, it's a lot harder to just eat to the point of comfortable fullness um, as opposed to, you know, trying to get as much as you wanted. And it just helps them to manage um, their hunger and fullness cues. If that makes sense. And it also just gives a little bit more structure to kids' days because often what we also see is otherwise kids, you know, grazing the whole day. Food is just sort of going to, um, you know, into the playroom, into the backyard, into wherever they are. Parents like walking around with snack bags. And that also doesn't allow kids to build hunger between meals and then be able to satisfy that hunger with what they're eating when food is presented to them because they're never really hungry and they're never really full, right? And it also, in terms of just kids' development, it doesn't separate mealtime from when they should be focusing on other things, right? When they're playing, when they're learning, if they were in the middle of a math class in school, I wouldn't want my child focusing on a snack. I'd want them focusing on whatever's on the blackboard, Right. So too, with our younger kids, play is the way that they learn. So when they're playing, I want them playing. When they're eating, I want them eating. Um, and that's really is, as well important, an important reason that we tend to you know, pretty quickly implement routines when it comes to food. Yeah, no, it, it actually sounds like you're describing dogs to me right now. <laughs> 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 like so many of the things that you just said sound exactly like the advice that I, I give to my clients all the time. I know. It's, it's very funny. <laughs> you well, know, sometimes I'm like sitting in front of my kids and I'm like, just sit. Just <laughs> but like picky eating is a really big topic, like both for dogs and for kids. And, yes. you know, many I dog wasn't aware owners... for dogs. I'm definitely oh, aware oh, for kids. Yeah. Yeah, like many, many dog owners resort to like switching up their dog's food constantly to try and entice them to eat or they add treats into their meals or they cover their food in gravy or yogurt or ground beef or like anything to trick them into eating. Yeah. And like from my experience, like so-called picky eating is usually the result of free feeding, which yep. is essentially what you're describing in terms of just grazing all day. Yeah, totally. Or it's just like a, a lack of exercise and mental stimulation so mm -hmm. the dog isn't actually hungry. Right, right, exactly. And so that happens a lot with, with kids as well. Right. So like, yeah, so parents are always talking about how like picky their kids are, especially toddlers and are looking for helpful solutions to get their kids to eat. Yeah. So I guess like, well, this is a two part question and it mostly, you know, feeds into a lot of what you were just describing pertaining to routine. But, you know, what what factors do you think lead to picky eating? And secondly, what are some strategies that parents can implement to encourage their kids to eat what's being offered at mealtime? Completely. So, I mean, I go quite in depth into how to, to support picky eaters. Um, I, I run an online course called the Stress-Free Mealtime Manifesto, where all we talk about is picky eating and how it develops and how we solve it. So it's definitely something, you know, I hear from parents time and again, that is, that is a struggle. Um, and it's, it's not a lost cause. First of all, if there's any parents who are struggling with this, you know, lots of picky eating can be addressed. But number, you know, one thing is thinking about is your child, you know, showing up at the table hungry, right? If, if they've been grazing all day, the way that I always like to describe it is, you know, if I got to the table and someone offered me an apple after I had a snack, I might say no. If they offered me chocolate cake, I'd probably say yes. 
right? And that's the way that our kids often think about when they're showing up at the dinner table and they're not super hungry. Um, if you're offering them something like, I can't even think of it, you know, chicken stir fry, they'll probably, they might say no because they're not super hungry. If you offer them macaroni and cheese, they'd probably say yes because most kids like macaroni and cheese, right? So a lot of times parents say, I don't understand, but the macaroni and cheese they ate and the chicken stir fry, you know, the next night they turned down, but their day was exactly the same. Well, again, if you offered me an apple and I was full, I'd probably say no. If you offered me chocolate cake, believe me, I would find room, right? Yeah, like so, I always have room for a chocolate cake. It's exactly. like, it goes back to the whole joke about how dessert has like a second stomach. Completely, right? like we all have a second stomach for dessert. <laughs> yeah. um, so when we're feeding our kids our, their favorites, they'll tend to eat because it's their favorite. But the fact of the matter is a lot of kids aren't even showing up to the table hungry. And that really is where, you know, a lot of routine does come when it's introducing food, new foods to our kids is if you've served them a snack sometimes within an hour of a meal, new food probably isn't going to be successful. Um, and that's not to sound, you know, like, oh, don't bother doing it, but it is to help parents to manage their own expectations when you're presenting food to that to your child that day right? You can probably bet that day is not going to be the day they, they try your you know, chicken stir fry or whatever it is um, because they're not overly hungry and hunger is a really important motivator. So yeah, speaking of hunger and I guess self-regulation, again, I only, you know, I only know about this behaviorally from a dog perspective. I don't but... know. It sounds like dogs are kids, so <laughs> you're <laughs> yeah, probably exactly. the expert. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Uh, well, you know, many dogs self-regulate their intake based yeah. on the amount of like physical activity or playtime or mental stimulation that they've had throughout the course of the day. Yeah. So like, for example, on a day that a dog has gone on a two or three hour hike or done like 30 minutes of intense obedience training. Yeah. They might scarf down whatever served to them in five minutes and still be hungry. Totally. While like on a day that they've only had a 20 minute walk, they might eat nothing. Right. And as adults, I've found that we're conditioned to eat three meals a day and Completely. snacks in between, like regardless of the amount of physical or mental activity we've had. And, you know, I was wondering, like, do you think kids are more in tune to their bodies and you know, in terms of like their food intake as a reflection of the amount of physical or mental activity they've had, or are they completely unrelated? It is honestly, to me, one of the wonders of the world watching children eat. I know this is going to sound funny, but it is the most beautiful thing to watch because they are so unaffected by advertising and by, you know, anything else they see in the world or by diet culture or by any of these things, right? We, we are born with the potential to be these beautiful intuitive eaters who really can, if presented with the right, with the right environment, um, very well regulate our intake with our tummies, right? Which is what we want. I'll give you an example, which is going to sound um, totally not dietitian-y, but you know, it is what it is. Yesterday, we went to a Hanukkah party um, in the middle of the afternoon. And my kids each had a donut there. There was donuts there. They ended up, you know, they were presented with them. They ended up eating the whole thing, which is more than they would typically eat of um, a donut. And they literally did not eat any of their dinner. Later on, it was, you know, a couple of hours later, but they just really weren't hungry. Right? Their dinner was presented. They didn't want to eat it because they were still full. If that was right. many adults we would probably have forced ourselves to eat something, right? It's dinner time. How do you go to the dinner table and not eat anything? 
and right? have a full portion. Exactly. Right. Like we, we, most of us probably would have done that. Now is my children eating a donut and then not eating dinner ideal? No, but it is important, you know, to use that example in that they were able to regulate their hunger in such an amazing way. And so as you're saying, you know, sometimes when kids are more physically active and they're hungrier and they'll eat more and when they're not super hungry or they haven't really done anything all day, um, they don't eat as much. The thing is that we often as, as adults regulate our intake with our heads, right? If you had a bigger lunch, sometimes you would make the conscious decision to have a smaller dinner, right? Kids don't do that. They regulate more with their tummies, which means that often they'll end up regulating um, over the course of a month, not necessarily over the course of a day, right? right. So it's and not- I guess that's like, that's the beauty of dogs is that for their entire lives, they are completely unaffected by diet culture or advertising or any of those things that so they, you know, unless they have a, an owner that like constantly lures them with treats and overfeeds them, then they maintain like a, a healthy, you know, weight and body image their entire lives. Exactly. And so kids are a lot like that. It's just sometimes it's stressful for um, parents when, you know, maybe there's a day where you haven't seen your child eat, you know, a big breakfast or they weren't super hungry for breakfast. They weren't super hungry for lunch and they still weren't super hungry for dinner, right? That day often can be really stressful for parents and can cause a lot of parents to feel like they need to intervene. And it's difficult in that moment to maybe remember the day, you know, two days prior where you were like, oh my God, where did this like massive linebacker come from? Where is all my food going? And like your two-year-old was scarfing it down like nobody's business. Um, And so the fact that it's not always within a 24-hour period can sometimes be really stressful for parents because that's where a lot of parents feel the need to intervene, right? You, you weren't, you didn't eat a good lunch. You still didn't eat a good dinner. And the next day for breakfast, like you still weren't eating. And that's the point where a lot of parents will encourage or will they'll, you know, reward or bribe for eating more. Right. And I guess that's a, a whole other conversation yes, around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm sure that like, you know, kids like dogs are, you know, very sensitive to the energy and the emotions of the, the people that are around them. And I'm sure that that amount of stress and that obsession with, you know, eating a certain amount of food or a certain type of food ends up leading to a whole slew of other issues. Completely. Um, and the, but you know, the best way to, to avoid that is to remember that kids often regulate over a longer period of time than we do. Yeah. And I think that's, it's difficult for us because we do look at things in 24 hour chunks. Totally. And it is how, you know, we function and we do, we are a lot more routine as adults even, right? Like I use probably the same containers to take my, my lunch to work and eat the same breakfast because it can get me out the door quickly and all of those things that we sort of, um, create routines for ourselves, we try to impose that more. And I guess this sort of goes back to, you know, your question about imposing diets on our kids, right? It's, this is also to a degree, a way of imposing the way that we eat on our kids. Um, when really they are much more intuitive when it comes to like, how much do I need? How much does my tummy feel like it needs than we are? Right. It sounds like we could actually learn a lot by following our kids' direction when it comes to eating. Honestly, I mean, I, I'm going to sound like I, you know, run my kids like science experiments, but, um, but it is. <laughs> I think we a, all do to a degree. It's true. It's true. But um, it is really, you know, it's amazing when, um, you know, when presented with the environment to support it, how, um, how well kids can do with, you know, food freedom and just eating intuitively. 
So you you mentioned a, a moment ago just about bribery. Yes. And, you know, dog training is based heavily in positive reinforcement and, you know, offering food rewards to teach and maintain desired behaviors. And, you know, I see parents using food as a reward or motivator as well, often, like from using M&Ms to toilet train Mm -hmm. or offering ice cream or pizza for doing well at a sports game or a school test or providing access to a favorite dessert if they finish their vegetables. And I kind of just wanted to know what your take was on using food motivators or rewards with children? It's an excellent question. Um, when it comes to finishing other food, my answer would always be no. Again, going back to um, that question of, you know, parents will say like, you know, eat your broccoli so that you have, you can have your, your chocolate cupcake or whatever. Never in the history of the world has the child eaten a chocolate cupcake because they were hungry. The fact that they're eating the chocolate cupcake doesn't mean that they we're hungry. They just really like it. And so in that instance, we're telling our children to override their hunger cues, right? They said, I'm done with broccoli. And you said, no, you need three more bites um, in order to get a reward. And really we want them to be able to learn to stop at the, at the point of fullness. So those three more bites of broccoli, um, my general rule when it comes to bribing to, with dessert is if you're having dessert, everyone gets dessert. It's not contingent on how much you ate at a meal. Um, otherwise this might not be every dietitian's opinion, but my opinion is that, um, food can be an important way, an important reinforcer, um, positively, you know, and sort of, uh, in reinforcer and comforter, I would say, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but, you know, think about like any time that you've, you know, any, any, movie that you've ever watched like the girl always goes for a tub of ice cream after she breaks up with a boyfriend um it's important though that it's not the only one is really the bigger consideration is when we only teach our kids to reinforce with food right something good happens you reward with food something bad happens you comfort with food that sets them up for a very challenging um you know long-term situation, right? Because if it's as an adult, the only way that you know how to comfort yourself and the only way that you know how to reward yourself is with food. You're not going to be, you're not going to be an adult who has a very, um, you know, healthy relationship with food, right? Because it sounds like how, you know, perfect recipe to set the foundation for disordered eating. Exactly. So do I think that sometimes it's nice, you know, if you've got a, um, a good grade or whatever to go out for ice cream definitely but I think it's equally as important to be able to say hey you got you know you got a great grade let's go pick out some of your favorite books at the library let's go see your favorite movie let's you know do whatever it is other like otherwise that you love the problem is that food is so easy right it's such an easy one kids love it like we all love it who doesn't want to go out for ice cream and so very often and without conscious thought, we'll just fall back on that as parents, as, you know, trainers, as like it, food is just the easiest one to fall back on. And so I often really just encourage parents to think of creating a list um, of things that your child loves, right? Just sit down, write a list of five to 10 things and make sure that that's in your conscious mind so that when your child, you know, finally poops on the toilet, you have something else that you can reward with other than an M&M. 
Yeah. And I, I give the exact same advice to my clients as well, because I, you know, I also get a lot of, uh, you know, feedback from my clients saying, you know, <laughs> I'm doing all this training. I don't want to be, you know, feeding him constantly. I'm worried that he's going to end up being overweight. And I couldn't agree more with that. I don't want the dog to, you know, only respond to specific behaviors because he's enticed by high value treats. So we also put together a list of all of the things that are motivating to that dog, which could be affection or praise or a long walk or a hike or like a visit to a favorite location or a certain certain toy or you know there's there's so many different things that can be motivated beyond food totally and I yeah I totally encourage trying to balance those things out as much as possible completely so there's something I like to do with the guests on this podcast. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to read you an email I got from a client of mine. Oh, shoot. Are you going to ask me to say if it was about a dog or a kid? I'm going to get this wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not quizzing you at all. I don't expect, I don't, I don't expect you to know anything about dogs whatsoever. Okay. So I, so I'm going to read a client email with concern about her dog. And I'd like to know how you would respond if it was from one of your clients contacting you about a child. Okay. okay? So we're just yeah. going to switch dog for baby or for toddler or for, or for whatever it is. And actually, you know, now that we've you know been chatting for a little while, this email that I had kind of pulled out in advance has basically been answered by by many of the things that we've chatted about already, Excellent. but I, I still want to just go through the exercise. But I also then want to know if you if you gave them similar advice, because it sounds like we're pretty on par. Yeah. Okay. So so this will be fun. Okay. So, hey, Ashley, I don't know what to do about my dog, Stanley. I buy high quality kibble with salmon and blueberries, which are things that he loves. But if I don't add cheese or meat to the bowl when I feed him, he doesn't eat anything or he'll take a few bites and then leave the rest. I've tried different types of kibble and he might be interested for a day or two, but then he always relies on me adding the cheese or meat. I've been to the vet. He doesn't have any medical problems. And of course, he'll eat treats any chance he gets. How do I get him to eat his regular food without me having to add these extras all the time? I'm worried if I don't add them, he'll starve himself. So, I mean, I would generally say there are obviously extenuating circumstances, but most children don't starve themselves. Um, and the something that I would think about was how often the child was getting treats throughout the day um, that might be spoiling the appetite for meals, and then also pulling back on how often um, the yogurt or the blueberries were being added, because if they're really relying on them, then um, there is sort of, you know, a bit of the picky eating going on there. Right. So yeah, so my response is basically the same. Um, you know, like from from a dog behavior perspective, like as you said, assuming the dog is in fact healthy and there are no extenuating circumstances, then, you know, I would actually take advantage of the fact that there are certain foods that were really motivating to my dog. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I'd reserve those specifically for training times. Yeah. And then I would make sure that my dog did not have free access to his regular food all day. Because a lot of people put out, you know, a bowl at the beginning of the day and they just like leave it there for 12 hours. And, you know, how enticing is any food that's been sitting on a, you know, sitting on the floor or sitting on a counter for 12 hours? Totally. Right. And so I would make sure they didn't have regular access to food and that I would create a specific routine that involved the dog being served one meal in the morning and one meal in the evening. And if the food wasn't eaten within like a 10 or 20 minute period, 
then I would remove it until the following meal time. And, you know, I promise, as you said, like a dog is never going to starve themselves if they, you know, begin to recognize that the alternatives being offered, like, you know, in between allotted meal times or smothered on top of their food are not available anymore, then they'll eat what's available. And, you know, additionally, he'll still be getting those treats that he loves, but just at more appropriate times and used as motivators for training instead of being given high value things just like throughout the course of the day for no reason. Perfect. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's essentially the same. I think the only different piece is that since I'm coming from a training perspective, I really want to take advantage of those motivators and use them for training times. And and you, you wouldn't want to use those for motivating your children to perform specific behavior. No, but I would say that if those are favorite foods and having them on a regular rotation where, where kids know that they're coming up. So, you know, when kids are saying things like, mommy, I want yogurt, saying, you know, that's not for dinner tonight, but we're having it on Tuesday, like making sure that they have those times of enjoyment um, is definitely something I would say as well. If your kid does have like a favorite food that also happens to be healthy, mm-hmm. like like yogurt or oatmeal or something like that, is there anything wrong with them having it every day? I don't think so. Um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with your child having, you know, a certain food, even if it wasn't super healthy, um, Every well, day. you wouldn't want them to have, I'm assuming you wouldn't want to feed your child like a cake every day. Well, I think the question with any food is more how many other nutrients is it displacing, right? So Newton, like yogurt can't give you everything that you need. If your child enjoys having yogurt every day with their breakfast and maybe, you know, even one day they have toast and one day they have cereal with it, that's more than fine. If they were having it, you know, three meals a day and for every snack, that's where I'd say, okay, maybe you need to pull back on that because it's just probably um, taking the place of other nutrition that they need. So I I do have one last question. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, not everyone can afford a private consultation with a nutritionist or a dietitian. Yeah. So is there, do you have like a few very generalized pieces of advice to anyone with kids in terms of what some safe bet foods are or that are high in nutrition that could, that are like usually a hit for kids or any products that parents could purchase from the beginning that would help with feeding or a website for recipes that's your go-to just like any little tidbits of advice that would be helpful so I I mean on my website have tons of um, free information and free blogs and free recipes for parents if they did want to check it out Um, I definitely understand that you know not everyone um, has access to a dietitian the question of of what um, are some great foods for kids this is going to sound like a cop-out answer, but I truly mean it, is whatever you put on your table is the best foods for your kids to eat or to see, right? Meaning don't cook food separately yeah, for them. And meaning, Feed them what you're eating. Exactly. And meaning like you should never be trying to give serve your kids the same thing that I'm serving my kids, right? Not because mine is any better or worse than what you're putting on your dinner table, just because every household is different, right? So... Um, it's important for kids, even as they're being introduced to foods, to really be introduced to the foods that they're going to see again and again, right? Um, so it sounds sort of like a cop-out, but it is just the reality. The best thing you can do for your kids is just expose them to the foods they're get generally going to be eating right away. 
And what it like? I know. I, I know that I said that the last question is my last question, but yeah. now I have another question. Love it. <laughs> so, just based on what you had just said, so we obviously want to try and create healthy eating habits for our kids from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But, but what if we have unhealthy habits ourselves? So, I was just thinking about you know feeding our kids whatever it is that we eat. But what if, what if those kids live in a household where their parents don't eat breakfast, or where you know they're accustomed to having like a a big meal in the middle of the day and then just kind of grazing themselves for the rest of the day where there is no dinner, but they want to be able to create healthy meals for their children. I think one thing that's important for parents is just considering like where these habits came from. And also sometimes, you know, a lot of the times when I'm working with kids, we end up changing whole families, right? Because sometimes it is, you know, parents thinking about like, oh, hey, I do that also. Um, So sometimes it's number one, worth parents thinking about how are these habits serving me, right? If I don't, if I don't want to pass them to my children, they're probably not the ones that maybe we want to ideally have for ourselves either. So kids, you know, having kids changes us in so many ways. Sometimes it's a great time to change some habits. Um, if you're a family where, you know, like one parent is maybe a pickier eater. Sometimes it's a fake it till you make it situation because, you know, kids definitely will grow up saying things like, oh, well, like daddy doesn't have any broccoli on his plate. Why do I have to have some broccoli on my plate? So, you know, thinking about some family rules that can be put in place, like everybody takes a piece of broccoli on their plate at dinner time, you know, before we're introducing food to our kids. And also um, giving yourself a little bit of grace and doing that in that, you know, not every family has breakfast together, right? So sometimes your kids don't know whether or not you've had breakfast. Um, it's, you know, making small changes that if you are looking at something and saying like, hey, maybe I've been doing this for a while, but it hasn't actually served me well. Um, like maybe I'm super tired by 12 o'clock if I don't eat breakfast. And the other things, um, you know, just thinking about how you can take things slowly for yourself as well. Yeah, no, I I really like that idea of, you know, allowing it to kind of change, you know, the relationship that you have with food as an adult Mm -hmm. as well. Because, I mean, obviously, you want to be able to have your entire family on the same page as difficult as that is. But I think that the most beautiful thing about eating is being able to share family meals. Absolutely. you know, uh, we we do live in a culture now where a lot of those meals aren't shared or people eat in, you know, different parts of the house at the same time. And, you know, when I had my son, the most important thing to me wasn't necessarily about what was being eaten or, uh, you know, uh, you know, or what was, whether we were all eating the same thing at the same time, it was more about making sure that during each meal, we were all sitting at the table at the same time to create that sense of community and conversation and have the, you know, have the mealtime be like a shared experience. And that's really, you know, the most beautiful thing. When we talk about mealtimes, there's, and, you know, successful family mealtimes, it's a lot less dependent on what's on the table, right? You can have a, a family meal that is kale salad and is significantly less healthy than, you know, everyone getting a happy meal, right? Um, There's a lot to be said about the impact that it has for our kids and even the impact that it has on, you know, on us as a family and as parents having the opportunity every day to just sit together irrelevant of what's on the table. So I think that's actually fantastic. 
Yeah. And like even what you just said about the kale salad and the Happy Meal is, you know, I would much rather go to McDonald's and sit with my family and be able to, you know, laugh and talk and have a good time than have everyone eat kale salad and be sitting at different surfaces in the house. Completely. Yeah. Like every morning my my son eats you know, much healthier than I do. That's for sure. Like, but he knows that the routine is that like he sits at the table and has his yogurt or cereal or fruit or whatever he's having that day. And I have a cup of coffee and he doesn't question it, but we take that, you know, half an hour in the morning to Mm -hmm. be able to just sit and have a conversation and get ready for the day. And that's, you know, that's far more valuable to me than the actual food that's being consumed. Completely. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Where can people find you? So the one place you can always find me hanging out is in my free community on Facebook. It's called the Busy Mom's Guide to Feeding Your Family. And um, there's lots of information there, as I said, about the you know the stress-free mealtime manifesto, the picky eating course, and just lots of daily information, you know, about picky eating, about tips for busy moms. And it's a great community of moms who are just there to support each other. Uh, through feeding our families and then you can also find me on instagram at at ahuva rd hang out there a bunch too yeah and i'll include all of these links in the description for the podcast as well thank you thanks for listening Are you looking to add a dog to your family? For a limited time only, listeners of Baby Puppy will receive 10% off our unique mutt-making package. Let us help you find the right breed, energy level, and temperament for your household based on your experience, expectations, routine, and personality. We always say there's no such thing as the perfect dog, but there is definitely a perfect dog for you. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, child or dog related, email info at meetyourmutt.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at meetyourmutt or visit the website at www.meetyourmutt.com. Remember, this podcast is just a baby or puppy. And as they say, it takes a village. So please rate and review. Happy parenting. Baby Puppy is hosted, recorded, and produced by me, Ashley Balin, production assistance by Koji Nagata, and theme song by Pink Distortion Music. Music.